Okay, well, welcome um, either to or back to our series, our summer series, which is on the life and times of an Old Testament character called Joseph, or what we're calling uh, kingdom living in a hostile world, kingdom living in a hostile world. They say that every good story has at least one of seven plots. There is overcoming the monster. That's the David and Goliath type story. That is the rags to riches plot, which is the Cinderella. That is the quest, or what you would know as Lord of the Rings. That is the journey and return, like the Wizard of Oz. That is the what's called the rebirth plot, which is that film, It's a Wonderful Life, that most of us watch at Christmas. And then there is tragedy, and then there is comedy. And the story, though it's a bit short on comedy, I'll give you that. The story of Joseph has them all. (laughs) It has it all. I've tried to find the comedy, and I don't see a great deal to smile at. But I think every other thing is in there. And I wasn't here last week, but I've listened online to... Simon did a great job in just journeying us through the early years of Joseph's um, life. And he portrayed to us how Joseph was a favored son, full of dreams, a young man who was sent on a mission by his father to check out his brothers. But as I listened to the talk, and as Simon took us through those early stages of of Joseph's life, and he portrayed to us so beautifully this favored son who was full of dreams, a young man who was going on a mission. And I don't know whether Simon realized, but he started to read some verses at the end of chapter 37. And knowingly or unknowingly, he did what in scriptwriters' terms is, he did a plot twist. A plot twist. As he read for us from the final, some of the final verses of, uh, of Genesis 37, a plot twist is a, is a radical change in direction or outcome. And it's used to keep the interest of the audience, usually surprising them with a question. And in the uh, verses, what are they? Verses 18 and 20, 23 to 24 in Genesis 37. It's like one of those moments when you're watching a film and the music begins to change you know something tragic is going to happen. In our house, Tina grabs the cushion, and I find an excuse to leave the room. I can't stand the tension. And it's one of those moments that you know for certain something bad is about to happen. And when you read Genesis 37, with verses like 18, when they, that's the brothers, saw from a distance... And before he came to them, they plotted against him, that's Joseph, to put him to death. Then in verse 23, so it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored coat that was on him, and they took him and threw him into a pit. So you see there is a plot twist What was going along nicely suddenly changes. The music changes. The lighting is is lowered. And the characters take on a darker side. And they throw him in a pit. And rather than kill him, they sell him to some slave traders who journeying, uh, going down to Egypt. And they take Joseph down to Egypt. 
And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favour in his sight and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer over his house, and all he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge and with him there, and with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about, is that why you asked me to read? No. Yes. yes. <laughs> now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside. She caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her, until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Thanks, Steve. Let me just reread those first two verses. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, 
the captain of the bodyguard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. This morning we want to concentrate on the 11 years that this young teenager was in the house of a man called Potiphar. Now this isn't an episode of Downton Abbey. This isn't one of, some of you will remember the ups. This isn't an episode of Upstairs, Downstairs. For this young man, this would have been a culture shock. It's a country lad going into the cities and seeing for the first time the, the pyramids, the sphinx. He would have been overwhelmed by what he saw. And it would have been an incredible culture shock to him. Living in Potiphar's house was going to be a clash of kingdoms. The very name Potiphar has links with the sun god of Egypt, Ra. And it's thought that this man had links with uh, a kind of an Egyptian, not a kind of, but an Egyptian deity. So this was going to be a clash of cultures. Like Moses in the house of Pharaoh or Daniel in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, Joseph found himself, through no fault of his own, in difficult times. And if Potiphar's house represents a place where hopes are dashed and dreams die, a moment of time in which we're let down, feeling disappointed, betrayed, used and abused, that the possibility is that sometime in our life, most of us will be finding ourselves in some version of a Potiphar's house. We'll find ourselves in a time when we feel exploited, we feel down, we feel disappointed, betrayed, maybe even used and abused. But having said that, Potiphar's house became the potter's house. It's as if God took this moment in this young lad's life and he shaped him for his destiny. He molded him for his future. Potiphar's house became the potter's house, an environment in which God shaped Joseph for his destiny. John Bunyan was imprisoned for 12 years. I've not had time to check this out, but I read this morning that in his prison, he had a three-legged stool, that he took one of the legs off the three-legged stool and made a flute to play kingdom songs in his cell. That's turning Potiphar's house into the potter's house. Corey Ten Boom and her sister had an awful time in the German concentration camps. But even in the concentration camps, when her sister was moaning, Corey said, we should praise God for the fleas. Praise God for the fleas. Why? Well, at least the guards leave us alone because of the fleas. And even in Potiphar's house, her in the concentration camp, Corey headed up Bible studies. And whatever we're in, that's our Potiphar's house. Like Joseph, I believe God can mean it for good. That God can teach us lessons that he wants us to learn. I can't prove this, but I just wonder that if while Joseph was in the pot of, in pot of his house, it became a learning moment 
that God taught him some principles of the kingdom. God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. So often when you think of how God will do it, think of the complete opposite, the way in which we would do it, and God does it totally different. It's called an upside down kingdom. God's way up is down. To be rich, you have to learn to become poor. Weakness equals strength in God's kingdom. To lead, you have to learn how to serve. The persecuted have an edge. To exercise authority, you have to be under authority. God's rule and reign is not like a natural kingdom. And I just wonder whether God was teaching Joseph some of these principles. But as I've kind of been looking at this 39th chapter, that's not the main thing I think the Spirit of God is saying to me in this chapter. The phrase that keeps ringing in my ears is this, practicing the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God. What Brother Lawrence wrote a book about the practice of the presence of God. Bill Johnson has just uh, written a book, well not just, but has written a book called Hosting the Presence. And what I want to talk about this morning is this holy, these whole 11 years of Joseph in Potiphar's house that he realized that God was with him. When you read the chapter, you go through, now let me go to chapter 39. And the phrase that keeps springing out of this chapter, like in verse 2, it says, And the Lord was with Joseph. Then in verse 3, The Lord was with him. Verse 21, The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, The Lord was with him. God loved hanging out with Joseph. He loved being with him. This favored son, God loved being with him. And in this this challenging moment in his life, he was learning to practice the presence, to, to realize that God was with him. Now, we serve an omnipresent God. Big word just means God's everywhere. But when you read, there are occasions when God makes himself known in such a tangible and visible way. We call it the manifest presence of God. The truth is, God likes to hang out with me. And as a Christ follower, he loves to hang out with you. God loves to hang out with us. That's great. God loves to hang out with us. And the truth is that God loves to hang out with us like he hung out with Joseph. And heaven is waiting to see what we will do with that reality. Romans 8.11 says, The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, in me. However, the challenge is the same power. It's one of those verses you have to marinate, allow to marinate. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The challenge is, am I going to let the Holy Spirit be a lodger who takes up my spare room? Or is he going to be a liberating power that impacts my life and impacts those around me? It's not just giving him the spare room, it's giving him the whole house. 
Peter and John faced the lame man at the gate beautiful and said, as such as we have, give I unto you. They were practicing the presence. We hold the promise of Hebrews 13.5 very precious. It said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But when faced with a potter's house, it's when theories become practice. Genesis 39, to me, is Monday morning on steroids. It's Monday morning on steroids. This is where the theory gets mugged with a whole load of facts. It's relatively easy to enjoy the presence of God in a place like this. It's easy to look look Christian here. It's easy to talk Christian here. It's easy to even behave Christian. All I have to do is close my eyes, raise my hands. I look Christian. But it's when the rubber hits the road. It's when my theories get mugged by a whole gang of facts on Monday morning. That the challenge we face is hosting God's presence in the workplace, in the home, on the streets. So what I'm asking myself and what I've been asking as I've looked at this chapter is, what does it mean to practice the presence of God? What does it mean to host his presence when I look at the life of Joseph? Well, fundamentally, I believe to practice the presence, it's all about identity. Identity. From the very beginning of Genesis 39, Joseph's life seemed to be on a downward spiral. His brothers had thrown him down a pit. The Ishmaelites were taking him down to Egypt. You may think that's just literal and geographical, but it's almost like a a spiritual connotation to this. He was on a downward spiral. Life was spiraling out of control. But when you read these verses, it's like Joseph was saying, I am not defined by my circumstances. I'm not defined by people, objects, and events, but by the truth that I am a favored son. And my heavenly father just loves to hang out with me. Romans 8, 16 is all about the Holy Spirit who wants to bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let me explain this whole identity thing. When God took Moses to one side and shared with him the mission, it's like Joseph was on a mission, Moses was going to be on a mission. I've got a mission for you, Moses. You're going to lead this church in the wilderness. You're going to have an associate called Aaron. And you're going to lead a church of around two and a half million. Acts calls them the church in the wilderness. And you're going to lead them from here to here. And immediately, it's like Moses was kind of questioning, why me, God? Why me? And he asked this question to God in Exodus. He says, who am I? I got an identity thing. Who am I? God answers him, I will be with you. And it's like, that's not the question. That's not what I asked. I asked, who am I? Why would you pick me? Why would you use me? And God said, your sufficiency is in the knowledge that I am with you. I will be with you. I love that. 
God wants to hang out with us so that his presence becomes so evident in all we say and do. So much so that even the ungodly see that God is with us. I love the fact that even Potiphar recognized the truth that God was with Joseph. Now he worshipped another deity. And yet something about Joseph's life showed this man, your God's with you. Now we're not told what it is, but it says there, and um, verse 3, Now his master, that's Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him. Now I, I love it and hate it. Why didn't you tell us more? When you wrote it, Moses, why didn't you give us more facts? I want to know, what did Potiphar see? What did he hear? What was going on? I can't prove this. But I kind of think this sun worshipper, Potiphar, who worshipped Ra, I think when he watched Joseph, he saw his positive attitude to life. I think he probably whistled while he worked. I can't prove that. But I think he had a positive attitude to life. Here he was, this, this teenager who had been taken from his home, his, his country life, brought into the city, brought into this totally different environment. And yet, maybe it was that he had a positive attitude to life. There's something about you that's different. You actually enjoy what you're doing. You don't see it as exploitation. You don't see it as, as, as poor you. You are breaking through the circumstance and showing something of the presence of God. Maybe it was his work ethic. Maybe everything he did, he did well. Isn't that great when people want to employ Christians because they do a good job? Maybe he understood the principle that work is an act of worship. Work is an act of worship. Maybe it was Joseph's respect for authority. We'll never know. But clearly he was practicing the presence in such a way that Joseph was not defined by his circumstances. I don't know what your Potiphar house is, even if you're in one. But whatever your present circumstance is, I believe that by the grace of God, we can reflect the God we worship in all that we say and do. That's to me is practicing the presence. It's all about our identity. I am a favored son. I'm not defined by people, objects and events. It's not what others say about me. It's what God says about me. Yes? Yes. Yes, Chris. Practicing the presence is not only about identity. It's also about integrity. Integrity. Most of us who have heard this story before will know of the issue that Joseph faced in Potiphar's house, and his stand for integrity. Integrity is doing what you say you will do. That's integrity. If you say it, then you do it. That's integrity. Joseph somehow understood the principle, even though he couldn't have read it, Psalm 15, that says God loves to journey with those who walk in integrity. And Joseph, even when he was in a place of temptation, understood the principle of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when he says, No temptation has overcome you, but such as is common to man. 
But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape also. Joseph, when faced with temptation, when his moral conscience was confronted, when he was faced with this this moment when he could have so morally fell, what did he do? He ran. He ran. And I like to think he didn't only run literally, he ran philosophically. What on earth are you on about? Let me explain. When he ran, he was making a statement. He was saying to Potiphar's, ha- to Potiphar's wife, that is not what I am. I am running from that and I'm running into what I am. I am a favored son. And that is not the way I live. That I am running from what I am not into what I am. This kind of sexual behavior has nothing to do with who I am as a favored son of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The word pure there is, blessed are those who are crystal clear in their conscience. Those who are clean, they will see God. Practicing the presence, making God real to this generation in all we say and do, is not only an issue of identity. Who am I? I'm with you. It's not only an issue of integrity. It's an issue of destiny. Joseph was a favored son, full of dreams. A young man sent on a mission for which he would suffer. Yet I love this. What it says in verse 2, The Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. He became a successful man. Verse 3. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. He was successful. God was with him. Everything he did prospered. Then in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Verse 23. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. I want to live like that. That kind of spiritual Midas touch, whatever we touch prospers to bring glory to God. That whatever Joseph did, he was successful. Now the word successful used here has the idea of pushing through. It has the idea of breaking through the obstacle. The word is often used of being successful in a journey to reach your destination. And in your pursuit, in your journey, whatever you face that is an obstacle to get to your ultimate destination, you push through, you succeed. So often we find ourselves in a situation that's like a Potiphar's house. We have aspirations that seemingly are failing. Come on, most, if you've been a Christian for any time, most of us will have come to a point in our life when we feel as if, well, I'm not sure where that dream's gone. 
Not sure whether that one was true. Was that cheese or was that something else? Where, where did that come from? And we doubt. Times when we feel exploited. Our hopes have been dashed. Our dreams seem to be dying. And we're in a, a kind of a pot of his house. But within that position, within that place, if we are going to reach our destiny, we have to push through. I believe I need to say this. Every child of God needs to be like a terrier. There needs to be a fight in us. A godly fight that says, I will not let this dream go until I see the fulfillment of it. I will not let this desire go that God has given me until I see it fulfilled. I believe, God, you have given me a, an aspiration. You've given me a dream. And like I'm going to see the success because God is with me. And if God is with me, I'm going to push through. And sometimes that's all you've got. You and God. And you have to push through. You see, he didn't have a weekly life group to go to. How's it going, Joseph? Well, not so well this week. Could you pray for us, please? He didn't have a Sunday gathering to go to. He couldn't go and sit down and listen to someone preach and someone, you know, play an instrument. It was just him and God. And it's in those moments that we prove that relationship with God we have and the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That we are not only recognizing that God is with us, He's not only with us, He's for us. And God, I see where you have called me to go. And though there are obstacles, I'm going to push through. And sometimes it may be pushing through the crowd. It may be pushing through circumstances. But if we're going to practice the presence, if we're going to host the presence of God, it's an issue of identity. It's an issue of integrity. It's an issue of destiny. I believe the best is yet to come. You may be on your own there, Chris. I'm not sure. but <laughs> I've let, read the last chapter. We win in the end. You know, it's like one of those plots you read and you say, oh, I can't stand this. I've got to find out what goes on. Oh, that's all right. I can read the rest. I was, we were talking with some people this morning and sometimes when we relay what has gone on in our lives, I remember one person saying to me, why are you still in this? Why are you still doing what you're doing? I'll tell you why. Because I believe God's in control and his church is his idea. And he will ultimately bring together a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. I believe in the church of Jesus Christ and I believe we corporately have a destiny we individually have a destiny and no matter what comes our way we need to push through to succeed to push through the barriers let me move on to practice the presence not only means our identity an issue of identity it's not only an issue of integrity not only an issue of destiny it's an issue of authority greater is he that's in you that's in the world the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Simon made it very clear last week that Joseph was on a mission. His father had given him a mission. He was on a mission. I would like to suggest that in Potiphar's house, the mission became a co-mission. 
the mission became a co-mission. In part of his house, he learned to co-work with God to see the mission fulfilled. Let me explain. The end of Matthew's gospel, the resurrected Christ calls the disciples together and he sends them on a mission. These are the words. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You've got a mission, but it's a co-mission. We're going to work together. I'm not sending you on your own. We're going to work together in this. That is a co-working. It's what I believe Paul was talking about when he writes to the Philippians. He talks about the fellowship of the Spirit. The fellowship of the Spirit. And that word, that word means co-working with the Holy Spirit. He's not only our friend. He's not only our partner. But there's a, a oneness with the Holy Spirit. Um, I won't mention the name, but there was a book that came out about the Holy Spirit and the theology was a bit wacky. But I love the, the way in which he talked about the waking up every day and greeting the Holy Spirit and almost saying, well, what's on the agenda today, Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit searches the deep things of fathers, the Father's heart and reveals them to us. And so it's saying, Holy Spirit, what's the adventure today? Work. That may be the Potiphar's house, but in the Potiphar's house, there can be a partnering and a a practicing of the presence. And it's, Holy Spirit, I want to co-work with you. So it's fellowshipping the Spirit. And in classical Greek, the word fellowship that's translated fellowship or koinonia has levels to it. The basic level of fellowship is friendship. You know, you've got a friend, you just love to hang out with them. You have something in common, and you just like spending some time. And with each of these levels, there is a, a greater degree of cost and commitment. So, I, I, you know, I hang out with my friends. Just great to be with them. But if one day I decide that one of my friends I'm going to go into business with that is a bigger level of If you've ever been into business with friends, you know, you have to know it's right. Because there is now a bigger cost and commitment to this relationship because you're going into business with them. And the word fellowship on the basic level is a friend. You know, you can take them or leave them. <laughs> you know, I've known friends who say, well, that's okay, fine. We've had an hour together. I'm finished now. We're through. Okay, bye. And they take it or leave it, you know, just for a moment. But when you're in partnership, you have to spend time with your partner. You're working together. There's a commitment and a cost. But in classical times, in classical Greek language, the word fellowship, the ultimate level of fellowship, and I'm talking about fellowship with the Spirit, was used of marriage. Now, the cost and commitment in marriage is very different from engagement. The longer you are married, the more like each other you become. And if you've been married as long as I have, your partner finishes the sentences off for you. They know exactly, and they finish it right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. 
<laughs> you know each other that well, they know what you're thinking. You don't even have to ask. You know, Tina can give me a look in certain set- settings, and I, I know exactly what she means. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. <laughs> but other, no, we won't. Anyway, move on. Because we are in a covenant relationship whereby we are working together as one to see the fulfillment of our individual lives, but our collective lives. When we talk about partnering the Spirit, co-working with the Holy Spirit to exercise that authority that the risen Christ has given us, it's all about saying, Holy Spirit, I don't just want to be your buddy that we hang out on occasions. That's great. Holy Spirit, I don't even want to just be in the, the business side of this. I want a union whereby we are like one. That whatever I say, I know clearly that's what the Spirit of God would say into this situation. And I'm trying to learn this because I do open mouth before engaging brain sometimes. You ever do that? I'd like those. Can I have those words back, please? I've said something. I shouldn't have sent said it. I've sent an email. I shouldn't have sent that email. Why have I done that? And so I engage brain. I don't engage brain before opening mouth. And I say, Holy Spirit, what should I be saying? How should I respond? How should I react? I want to know the will of God in this situation. I want to practice the presence of God in this situation. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. I believe heaven's waiting to see what we're going to do with that. We have the presence of God within us. We have been given a gift, the likes of which is incredible. Nothing else is like it. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead Paul doesn't know any greater past why he writes in Ephesians and says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So that power resides in us and heaven waits to see what we will do. Whether we allow the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit to be a lodger who takes up a spare room, or we allow him to become that liberating power that works in and through us. When I read Genesis 39, And I read the life of this young teenager who spends these years in Potiphar's house. I think, God, by your grace, help me to to be like him. To recognize that you want to hang out with me. That you are with me. Lord, that I recognize the identity I have. Keep my integrity. Help me to understand my destiny that I will push through. Help me to exercise the authority that you have given me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 39, Joseph practiced the presence in Potiphar's house. In Acts 3, Peter and John practiced the presence in healing the sick man at the gate called Beautiful. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas practiced the presence in singing praise to God. I love that story. I have to admit, I would not be the one that initiates the praise. (laughs) I'd say, you've got to be joking. 
Look, no one else from church is listening. Can we just have a moan? (laughs) My back is hurting. You want to sing a praise song? But he was wanting to practice the presence even in that desperate and dire situation. In the year 2016, left a space. I'd like to put my name in there. In the year 2016, Chris Spicer practiced the presence of God through acts of kindness, through healing prayers, words of wisdom, a job well done. That those who are around us that may not believe in God may say there's something about you. don't know what it is. That even in this situation you find yourself in now, you are reflecting your beliefs. You are mirror imaging the God you serve. They won't use those words. But I want to be like Joseph in Potiphar's house. That my life would almost mirror the hymn that we sang at the beginning. That I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Wonder how he could love me. A sinner condemned and clean. How marvelous. But Lord, I not only stand in your presence, I want to practice, practically practice the presence of Jesus Christ in the world where I live. The world will come to us and say, what is it about you? You're different. What is it that makes you tick? There's something about you. You say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I believe my God loves to hang out with me. And I believe he helps me in my life. And as I look at Joseph, he's a challenge to me. He really is a challenge. I think when I'm in my pot of his house, I want to know that I'm practicing the presence of God. Forgive me if I've said these before, but an old preacher called Bob Mumford used to have this saying. He says, God fixes a fix before you're fixed. And if you unfix the fix before you're fixed, he'll send another fix to fix you. God fixes a fix to fix you. He has a particular environment, a particular situation that's going to help us grow. God fixes a fix to fix you. If you try and break out of the fix, if you unfix the fix before you're fixed, (laughs) you'll send another fix to fix you. I have in my life ran from certain individuals that got right up my nose. I'm saying it right there. And I've ran into another environment where the same type of individuals are there again. (laughs) And I think, God, why? But I believe they're almost gifts from heaven to bring out of me what God wants to bring out of me. It's like the, and with this I do close. It's like the person who visited, I think it was South America, and they watched this potter as he made, and forgive me if I've told you the story, he made this pot of clay and he put it on a, a kind of a long arm thing and put it into the fire, left it there for a while and brought it out. And when he brought the pot out, he would just clip the edge. It would make a clunking noise. So he'd put it back in again. He'd take it out, clunk, in, out, clunk, in, out. And the guy says, what on earth? What are you doing? He says, I know the pot's finished by the sound it makes. 
sometimes I find myself in a Potiphar's house and the only thing that comes out of my mouth is complaints, moans. Not in public. You know, I'm angelic in public, but, you know, ask my wife what I'm like at home. It's kind of in the, why God? It's not fair, clunk. God, it really, you're having another, my pick up, clunk. Eventually, the truth dawns, and I say, Lord, I'm not enjoying this. You, I really am not enjoying it, but I believe you are in total control. It all, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Help me in this moment to give you honor and praise. Ding. Job done. God in our part of his house, help us to practice the presence of God. Stand with me, please. Father, we want to thank you for the life of Joseph. Thank you for the lessons that we learn in and through him. Lord, I'm praying for myself more than just a phrase of practicing the presence, hosting the presence of God. I want that to be a living reality. Lord, it's relatively easy to enjoy and enter into your presence in this environment because how good it is where brethren dwell together in unity. There you are in the midst and where two or three harmonize together. You promise to be there. But Lord, it's tomorrow in the workplace, in the home, in the neighborhood, in whatever situation we find ourselves. Help us to live the life that reflects the goodness of God to a world that don't believe you. And they'll see something in us that shows we are followers of Jesus. That you get praise and glory and honor through a mirror image of how we live our daily lives. For we ask it in your name. And everyone said, Amen.